Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. I've got a quick question for you. What would your life look like if your wand worked? If your wand actually worked. In other words, what if you could fulfill what you desired in the moment instantaneously and in the next moment being completely free to to do it again? Um, The topic tonight is embodying the Yoga Sutras and our guests tonight are Ranju Roy and David Charlton, and we're going to bring those two folks on in just a minute. But I wanted to go back to this notion because we're going to talk about the Yoga Sutras. So I'm going to the polar opposite side of the Yoga Sutras, perhaps. What if your wand worked? I mean, really. If you could snap your fingers and fulfill what you intended in this moment, And then you could do it again and just continue to do that, creating exactly what you wanted to create. How would your life evolve? How would your life path change? Now, this dialogue can seem like it's out of context for the Yoga Sutra conversation, but I suggest to you um, the Yoga Sutra is a very powerful text. Sanskrit text that teaches us how to hone our vehicle, hone our, our ourselves, our, our personal um, persona, if you will, our energy persona. We've talked many, many times on the show about the power of the human consciousness, the power of the human persona, and how humanity is hungry for a new story, a new paradigm. And I suggest we've kind of been in the karmic pressure cooker, if you will, and society has squozen itself in so many um, ways, and some of them very brutally over the course of our human story. And humanity now, the heart of humanity is hungry for a more authentic story, a more genuine um, vision of what the future could be. And what I really like about the New Human Living Radio Roundtable episode we're having today is the effect of embodying the Yoga Sutra, the effect it has to study and embody the Yoga Sutra teachings on your own personal energy persona and, and who you become as a result of that. So I really suggest that what we're talking about here is like the rocket fuel of of human dialogue, the rocket fuel, the the powerful uh, language of the gift that the Yoga Sutra has for every single one of us. So without further ado, I'm very excited for this episode. Again, the topic tonight is embodying the yoga sutra 
subtitle support, direction, and space. And our guests are the co-authors of this book, Ron Roy and David Charlton. Join me in welcoming these two lads on the show. Welcome to the show. Hi, Elaz. Hi. Hi, yeah. Great to be here. So um, our audience might not be familiar with who we're talking to, so can you each take a moment and just give us uh, uh, some context of your upbringing so we know where your perspective is coming from and how you came interested in the Sanskrit teachings of the Yoga Sutra. Can we start with uh, Ranju Roy? Sure, yeah. Hi, I'm Ranju, um, and um, we're both based in the UK, and funnily enough, both Dave and I met um, probably 30 years ago on the same yoga uh, residential course. We were We both happened to go on a course in I think 87 or 88 something like that when we were both young young and fresh boys I suppose in our early 20s <laughs> and um, you know it was the first time I had done anything like this I'd been going to some yoga classes because I was just interested in having a good stretch and uh, I, I enjoyed it and then I went and did a, a, a week's residential um, which it was the first time really that I looked at the Yoga Sutra. We studied the Yoga Sutra on that um, on that uh, week's course, and I was immediately excited that um, yoga was being introduced in a, in some a more profound way that, than I had than I had uh, encountered before. I'd been I'd been interested in yoga kind of off and on my father's Indian my mother's English my grandfather gave me a book on yoga when I was sort of 14 or 15 and um, I kind of looked around at it and threw myself on on my head in my in my bedroom trying to trying to do some crazy postures and so I, I I kind of became increasingly interested from from my from my early 20s and and this course developed that relationship. I also then went on to study with um, various teachers, including Paul Harvey and, and his teacher, Desika Char, in India and in the UK. Well, very nice. Um, David, do you want to share some of your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I also uh, started yoga really in, in my early 20s. And as Ranji just said, we met... Um, on that very first yoga retreat, uh, the first yoga retreat for both of us, yeah. uh, our paths had actually crossed sometime previously. Uh, Ranji was living in the west of England, uh, where well, we both were at that time. But when we both lived in London, we'd both gone to the same school when we were about 12 years old. And Ranji was in a year above me, and we didn't ostensibly know each other at that time mm. but it was a very weird connection that we found ourselves on this first yoga retreat and actually we'd already met mm. um now my interest in yoga i think came, didn't really come from anywhere uh, that i can put my finger on it was when i was at university for some reason and you know you, you i suppose you can never be sure why I suddenly got interested in yoga. I got a few books. I went to a yoga class. And then um, 
gravitated to this yoga retreat, which I have to say, that first yoga retreat pretty much blew my mind. Yeah, it was so out of my experience range at that time. Um, and from there on in, really, it, I was hooked. So um, since that time, I've always been interested in yoga. My background, I'm an engineer or I was an engineer, um, but uh, increasingly I've found myself becoming involved in, in, in yoga and some, how many years ago was it now? Yeah, about 15 years ago, both of us, again, somewhat uh, coincidentally, coincidentally, both decided to stop our day jobs, as it were, and to um, pursue yoga as our full-time occupation. And that's where we decide, when we decided to get together. It was, it was really together. strange, wasn't it? Because I remember I decided to... T- I, I was working as an art and family therapist um, within the mental health services. And I knew Dave. I mean, I knew Dave reasonably well, but not very well. And I just happened to be chatting to him. And I said, you know, that I was going to take this year sabbatical from my from my day job and in the health service. And then you said, well, that's what you, you were not going to have another contract. That's right. Yeah, I was you, contracting and the contract come to an end and I, I decided I wasn't going to look for another one. So we we decided to uh, thought we thought it would be fun to just run some retreats to get some weekend retreats together for a year and see how it went. And we we had some really interesting weekends. Didn't we? Um, we, we had some pretty wacky titles. Didn't yeah, we? we had living magically, we had out of your box, and uh, we had roots. Roots, yes, was another one. But, um, and we fun actually. We really we, good fun. We were exploring yoga from various different perspectives, and from that we then decided to, you know, this was working well, and we so we we started doing teacher training and developing. And I think as we have worked together more and more. It's interesting because I'm more from an arty background, I suppose, and Dave's yeah. more from a technical engineering background. But I think together we bring something different to we, – we both bring something individual to, to our work together. And I think we've really grown – I think we've both learned from each other and we've learned a lot from the people that we've worked with, our students as well as our teachers. And this book has been four years in the writing and it's really come out from the – work that we've done both as teachers and as students um of of the yoga sutra and of the various the three main teachers that we've we've worked with which were Desika Char, um Paul Harvey and um Peter Hersnack who who we studied with um more more recently. And whose idea really um support direction and space came from Peter, didn't it? That was his formulation, yeah. yes. Yeah. For what uh, for what you've done here, because what you've put in the crosshairs, so to speak, yeah, is the uh, the cumulative um, wisdom of a culture from 2,000 years ago. I mean, you're not you're not playing around with uh, yoga like the superficial idea, like here in the states, there's core yoga, hot yoga. Um, there's even goat yoga where baby goats hop all over you while you're in your goat yoga poses. And, yeah, uh, never really but appealed. You, you, you two didn't, I mean, to take on the Yoga Sutra, I suggest it being a document of a lineage of people, really. I mean, this is like the upper crust um, understanding of a wisdom of a people of a culture from the Sanskrit era, two thousand mm. or so years ago. 
we I think we were very very lucky to be um, in, inducted and, and trained in this way and I think we had some inspirational teachers um, the Yoga Sutra um, it's it, it, it's a very popular text but it's also one which is usually only given lip service to within um, a lot of yoga in, in our experience within a lot of yoga um, teacher trainings or you know so people will often have a few a, a copy of the yoga sutra on their bookshelves but um, they'll never read it or they'll only read a little bit of it in fact or not really understand it and not really understand it, really understand it. whereas or i think uh, or yeah, embody, or embody sure. I, I mean i think for us we were fortunate enough to have from the outset in the way that we were taught and trained the yoga sutra was the touchstone and it was the foundation for everything that was done and at times, even to the point of perhaps taking a few liberties with some of the the, the the very traditional meanings, but applying it very much to the way that we would we would practice, whether it be yoga postures or breathing or meditation or chanting. For for us, the Yoga Sutra was like at the heart of it, and, always. And I, and I think also one of the things that particularly um, useful for us in our journey with the Yoga Sutra is that we didn't study the Yoga Sutra from translations. What we did was we learned to chant the Yoga Sutras and then we would look at the Sanskrit words and deconstruct them and try to understand the mindset of the people who wrote, I mean, it was Patanjali, but, you know, to, to try to understand the mindsets of where this text was coming from. So it, Although, of course, you can't um, understand something without filtering it to some extent through your own experience, by by deconstructing and looking carefully at the word, the Sanskrit words, not the English translation words, we were able to um, construct an English translation. And, and where we have taken liberties, and I think we've taken some liberties, but I think where we have taken liberties or where we've, or should I say, modernized certain things, We've tried to be as transparent in the way we have got to our understanding as possible. So if, you know, when you're translating an ancient text, it's, you can't, you can't, we don't have the same mindset that they had 2000 years ago in an agricultural rural community without the internet and without all the modern technology that we have. I mean, obviously our times are very, very different. So, how we flesh out these sutras is quite different. Oh, is 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 um, linked to, to where we are now. I think that that's our. But we we try to well, maintain we've tried to maintain the essence of the teachings whilst applying them in a very different context. Right. Well, from my from my perspective, I mean to language the yoga sutras in the most authentic way possible would be just to read the Sanskrit. But mm. that text doesn't mean diddly to the Western mind, if you will. And what I really like about the, the you two as a dynamic duo is that Ranju has a lineage of, of English and Indian culture and and I suggest from just uh, from observation that Indian 
uh, perspective of which is much more based in the Eastern philosophies than the Western mind. Um, to be raised in both those cultures gives the advantage of understanding the Eastern perspective, perhaps. And then David comes along with a technical background, like myself. I, I, I've been an engineer in television for 35 years. Mm. From that that technical analytical mind, um, putting. I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you something else about David. He's very very clever. Dave is very bright. <laughs> Well, I'm just, well, I I'm need just to, to step up my humor then if I'm just skirting around this simple stuff. <laughs> but but between the two of you, from my perspective, uh, you, you both are very well suited to because to write the Yoga Sutra in its native tongue doesn't accomplish anything. It's when you bring it into your own words, into your own culture, into your own um, understanding that the whole Western arena can learn through your perception and your languaging a very powerful text that wasn't written in their native tongue. Could I say, can I say something about the sutra itself? Because, I mean, one of the Is things that a about... Question? <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a question which I'm just going to plow on with. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just want to say that the sutras themselves are very, very um, technical and brief. So if you look at them in the Sanskrit, I think even a native Sanskrit speaker might scratch his or her head because, because, of, the, because of the brevity of them. So traditionally, there were lots and lots of commentators who fleshed out these very very terse statements and within the within the statements themselves within each sutra um i think is coded language which sort of implies uh, a, a knowledge you know it, it refers to there's a lot of assumed knowledge there's a lot of assumed knowledge <clears throat> so i think what we've done in some ways is like many many um people before us has has fleshed out a kind of a commentary so although we haven't this this book is not the the sutras are 195 statements divided up into four books and some of those statements are three or four words and then there are some traditional commentators who kind of commentate on those words the original ones were were commentaries in sanskrit but there have been many more since then including many which have been done in english our book isn't a isn't a commentary on all 195. What we've done is to take a, f- a few of the the key sutras from our point of view and flesh them out um, in a way which hopefully helps to um, make the abstract um, theoretical abstract pontifications of of, of the Yoga Sutras somehow more more real and tangible and and relatable to give people things to work with in their lives it's it's not just about um yeah it's just not not about pure philosophy there are some very very practical ideas in here yes well i think i think had you done all 195 of them uh, the vast majority of people wouldn't buy your book in in other words no i don't know whether i'm serious i'm because it'd be too daunting. It, I mean, it yeah. was like 
you know, crap, I'm not looking for a mangle myself into oblivion course. I just, yeah. I, I want some, some, some inclination of the, of the juice of the horsepower that's behind the yoga sutra. And I think you guys do it real well. You know, the, to just take one step laterally, just to step out of the yoga sutra mindset for a minute and look at some of the languaging of the uh, mystics or sages or saviors or whatever. There's the burning bush. I am that I am. And there's zero, there's just zero embellishment there. You can't even point at it without buggering it up. And then mm. there's the ka Kama Sutra mm. as it is. Again, you can't touch the damn thing without messing it up because I think the closer we get to our truth, the less language can serve its, its due. And mm. with support, direction, and space, those three words have the same uh, eloquence or uh, lucid or, or transparency to them. And that's mm. what, I, what really struck me about your book. Yeah, I, I think those three terms, they're, they're both very straightforward and at the same time, they're also very loaded. Mm. And so you, you're right, they, they have a kind of simplicity and power in themselves and they also can be elaborated into a, a very sophisticated approach to all kinds of practice, actually. Both bodily and but, interpersonal. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, to do with the breath or whatever. So I think they're quite yeah, a unique yeah. formulation, and they're, they're not. I mean, as I say, they're, they're not originally ours. They they were um, this teacher called Peter Herstax, who, who sad, sadly died a couple of years ago. But um, I I think they are brilliant, and they and they are brilliant because of their pithiness, because of their apparent simplicity, their apparent of. simplicity, and the fact that they hook in directly to the philosophy of yoga. I mean, yeah. it, it is genius to come up with those three terms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way you've written the book, I mean, <clears throat> do you even need to know Sanskrit to understand this book? Well, I think you don't. Um, there's a lot of Sanskrit in the book. It is all explained. Um, it's quite a technical book in in some respects, I think people have said to us that they have found it um, also quite readable. Mm. You know, so mm. I think you can take the de the technical detail or not as as your actually. I think a interest. couple of people have said that it can be read on at different levels. At different levels, so yeah, you exactly. Can, you can read it uh, knowing comparatively little, um, uh, and then you can reread it and reread it and reread it, and you'll find more and more um, depth. I think. And subtlety, right. and you, yeah, yeah. So, so we would like to think that actually it could appeal to um, somebody who hasn't got necessarily a background in in Sanskrit. No, what you'd need is to be interested in what we're saying. If you're interested, it will it will interest takes you a long way. Actually. Interest will take you a long yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. I think. Um, for me, when I when I look at the context of the book, I'm holding it in my hands right now. Um, 
the, I suggest the closer we go in inward, if you will, uh, uh, the more grace comes in and the less structure uh, yeah. shows up. In, in other words, it's kind of it, um, we're trying to discover an etherical, perhaps, aspect of ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps an intangible aspect of ourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, and in order to do that. It's like how do you use language to get out of the realm of language? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and, I, and, I think you guys have really hit it out of the park as far as um, your, your approach just really strikes me as eloquent. And I think you've—I uh, don't think you could have written this book the way it is now without some skin in the game, if you will. Um, the, that your past, both individually and then collectively, have brought you to mm. this point of even the desire to take on the Yoga Sutra. Just to say, thank you, Les. One of the things that you said, I think, right at the beginning of this was that there were 7 million people on the planet, each with different, um, I, I can't remember quite the words that you used, but different energy potentials or different energy make. Persona? Was it, was it the persona? Yeah. And I think in, if you, when we're thinking about Indian philosophy, there's an interesting movement when we go from internal to external, that as, as we move more externally, things get more complex and right. therefore more, there, are, there are more va- variations and variables. You know, it's just like there are no two snowflakes are the same so no two humans are the same no two humans are the same either in their physical makeup or their karmic makeup or you know their mental right. psychological or whatever so as the, the the more kind of external you go and when we i'm talking about external as being the physical i suppose and the grosser elements even the psychological sure. is kind of more external but as we go more internal things get simpler i think and there are t- it seems to me that there are two movements with it two possible movements within yoga within life actually not just yoga within to- life one is the movement outwards the movement externally the movement into the world and the the what yoga can offer is us uh, what yoga can offer us is a way of simplifying the complex our complex um our complexities on an external level how can we how can we um reduce our i think peter had this wonderful phrase that uh, it brought us back to un, uncomplicated wholeness yeah. so how can we live in an uncomplicated whole way most of us live in a very complicated whole way so we hold ourselves together physically mentally emotionally in a complicated fragmented way I think. in a complicated and fragmented way yoga has to invites us to hold to, to find a way of being which is uncomplicated and so the journey in the one one journey is how we are in the world and the other journey is a return to our very inner being and i think the return to our very inner being is if you like the kind of spiritual journey and uh, the movement out into the world it's kind of taking the spirit into the world. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know whether I would not say it's spiritual, but 
Can you help me out then, Dave? Do you, do you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I can. I, I, I think the Yoga Sutra, in a very traditional context, has been very much about an inward journey. Yes. But um, we've been very conscious of the fact that really yoga, we feel, is important for everybody, um, everybody living you know, in the world, a, a, a normal life. Uh, hence our title embodying the Yoga Sutra. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of feel that um, there's a kind of double movement is actually important. Absolutely. Like, like yeah. you have one step in the spiritual, one step in the um, material, for want of a better word. Yeah. And actually living well, that tension is actually really important, a really important yeah. um, place, actually. It's a very creative place. It's a, it can be a very compassionate place. And um, I think it can be a very wise place. And certainly in this world, I feel we do need a bit, bit of wisdom right now. <laughs> you well, do. yeah, I, I like everything you're saying. You know, the, we've, we've kind of overdosed on the Western mind, if you will. And, and not, to, not to cast it in a totally negative shadow, but um, the, the Western mind um, has... Uh, perhaps run amok. I mean, we've done wonderful, beautiful things, walked on the moon, blah, blah, blah. And and those are very yang and um, um, perhaps masculine attributes. And I suggest that the planet as a whole, like there's such object poverty in, in you know, millions of, of, of miles of or kilometers of uh, country where people are living in, in destitution and mm. we can go in a cave and we can meditate and, and find our inner light and I'm not discounting that whatsoever but I mm. suggest to you that the, the Yoga Sutras in its um, uh, what's the word comprehensive um, um, discovery of self coupled with the Western ability to bring into effect, if you will, I suggest this will awaken a new era of, of alchemists, sages, mystics that are born out of the frustration of the collective consciousness. And it, it'll be through the Yoga Sutras that the feminine or the um, intangible non-creation modality starts to balance out that masculine uh, what had previously been dominance well it's certainly true um, and I was struck by your introduction to, to your episode when you talked about um, if you could m- wave your magic wand um, and uh, you know the, the possibilities of that and right. I think what you, what you have in the Yoga Sutra um, is you have a whole section of the Yoga Sutra which talks about those possibilities. Yeah. Now, it's not the part of the Yoga Sutra that we've focused on, mainly because um, we're starting with the, um, the beginning of the journey, I suppose, mm-hmm. with, with things that are very, very practical. But certainly the, the Yoga Sutra as a whole text offers a vision of human possibilities, human creativity, human potential, which potentially is vast and unlimited. Yes. Yes. Right. right. And all of those create. Yeah. I mean, this, this is this is 
the Yoga Sutra has four books. Mo most of the sutras that we've been looking at are in the first two books. But chapter three of the Yoga Sutra, really, which is called Vibhutipada, it's, it's about um, the, 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 the potential fruit of yoga practice. And there are some quite, uh, you know, from a, from, a, uh, from a conventional point of view, there are some quite wacky fruits, you know, the ability to um, understand all language, the ability to um, grow very big or become invisible, to walk on water, et cetera, et cetera. But the right. main thing about all these different fruits or all these special powers is that they have I, th I think they have the potential both to be used well or to be simply distractions another distraction in a sense we have many many powers at our at our fingertips i mean the internet the the, the you know the, the technology that we as westerners have at the moment would be undreamed of um well 50 let alone 500 years ago right. and it has the potential to be used wisely or it has the potential to simply become another distraction and Patanjali does say in chapter three that uh, all of these special powers which may arise from your practice uh, can simply lead you further into enmeshment and the yoga project is about um, freeing yourself from enmeshment at various levels, freeing yourself from enmeshment with either um, excess energy, excess movement, and excess um, act, frenetic activity, or enmeshment with dullness and stuckness. And if, you, if we're able to somehow free ourselves from either excess activity or excess dullness and stuckness, then a space which is inherent within us opens up, which is a space of great creativity. Right. Yeah, yeah. I like what you said about how uh, technology is affording us uh, wonderful potentials. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of uh, Leonardo da Vinci with a 3D printer or Gandhi yeah. with a Twitter account. Yes. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, it kind of... It it skews the whole um, um, possibility arena into totally different outcomes, and I suggest um, that certainly in humanity now. I know here in the states, uh, um, outside observers would think we're running uh, quite a circus here, and uh, you don't know how much popcorn to get to, to until it subsides. But quite a lot. <laughs> but. Um, it's from that space. It's from that that emptiness, that stillness, that quietness, that a whole um, vir virgin vision of the future can be birthed that has no relationship to any context of the past. And mm. it, it's like we have the ability to to set a authentic vector, an authentic um, momentum, if you will, from the emptiness of that space. But if we never slow down enough, all the way down enough, then we're still tethered by, by our own constructs that we haven't escaped. Mm. Mm. 
I think um, in respect of that, you know, the, the Yoga Sutra opens up this vast vision of, of, of those possibilities. But I think what is quite unique about the Yoga Sutra as a text is that it starts at the very beginning. Mm. And it starts with the first steps that you need to take. Um, yeah, at the very, very beginning of the road. With and a confused mind with or a, distracted exactly. mind. Exactly. So, because sometimes, you know, when we talk about the vast possibilities and potentials of the mind, it can seem like a very long way off or it can see a little bit pie in the sky. But one thing about the Yoga Sutra is, particularly within the first two chapters and the, the sutras we've tried to emphasize, you start off with some very, very practical work, some, some very, very sensible ideas about how to start to work with your own mind, how to work with um, both, if you like, purifying the mind on some level, if we can use that term, and also um, how to train the mind. Um, it's not about the, but although it's embodied, we've entitled it embodying the Yoga Sutra, really the Yoga Sutra is about the nature of our minds and the nature mm. of consciousness mm. um, and the possibilities of that. Mm. I think it's important right. for us as a society that we embody it. Mm. Mm. But oh, I like that. It's under no, no illusions. I mean, I, I mean, the Yoga Sutra is not uh, essentially about doing a forward bend or, <laughs> or jumping about in an elaborate way. That is not its, not, right. not its essential focus whatsoever. That's well, nice. so if I'm a student of yoga, and perhaps uh, I've been going to the, the yoga studio down at the end of the street for a couple of years mm. or even a decade or so, mm. and um, in, the big, in the big picture of yoga, perhaps the instructor's just scratching the surface, what, as, as a yoga practitioner, what could I expect from the yoga sutras as far as... Um, uh, personal development. I mean, everybody. I would. I'm, I'm making the assumption everybody's doing yoga for self improvement. Well, I, I, you know, a lot of people are practicing yoga now. That's true, and they, and they're practicing all different types of yoga, as you've already you've already pointed out. I think having some study of the Yoga Sutra, if you like, or some understanding of the Yoga Sutra and its ideas, uh, given that. Um, the ideas often need to be explained in in some way. I think it's important because it gives context for the experiences that people will be having in their classes. You know, they you can do a yoga class and you feel better. Yeah. You know, people feel better. They they that's a very very tangible experience. But the thing that the Yoga Sutra can do, or ideas around yoga can do, they can give you context for understanding that experience how to cultivate it more, mm. how to perhaps go further. and A, the, a direction. Yeah, they give you a direction. They it's, do. They give you a direction for these experiences that you might be having, having already. Mm. You know, you finish your yoga class, you feel better. Mm. You feel the mind feels clearer. You feel less cluttered. Mm. Well, it's a start. It's mm. a start. And um, actually, the, the Yoga Sutra gives us a language for understanding what's going on and also where we might take it further. It's very easy to, and it's not. This is not a criticism, but it, but I think it's just the first step. It's very easy to get stuck at the level of using yoga as um, a kind of a an, a counter posture to the stresses of life. So you know, the reason why most people go to yoga is there's some dissatisfaction. Maybe it's want to lose weight or you're feeling 
they've got a bad back or you know stress or whatever it is but there'll be something which takes you to to your yoga class and it's just and that's and if you can get some relief or get some positive uh, fruits from doing yoga feeling less stressed or have a better knee or a better lower back then that's great but it doesn't have to stop there and i think you know that there's a there's a whole world that that first step is a first step into well the end game is kind of enlightenment i guess and and it's a, you know it's a long way down the road and i don't think we should get too distracted with the idea of enlightenment or, or to um put off that oh that's too far away because at every single step of the way there can be an enlightenment and what i mean by enlightenment is uh, a, a, sh- a freeing of some heaviness or some shackle there can be a, 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 an untangling of something which is weighing us down and you get clearer about your way ahead and and, and as we as that gets unentangled we get clearer about our way ahead absolutely yeah, yeah. well the um the notion of of enlightenment if you will i suggest is um, when when you become enlightened, it's a discovery. It's not a creation. It was already there. It was mm. it was your little mind that was out of mm. depth with mm. yourself. So so David, um, from a from a technical perspective, if you were to look at the uh, the the mechanics of the Yoga Sutras, and in a sense of how we change as an individual as we learn how to embody the the principles of the Yoga Sutra. How would you describe that if you were to observe it happen in a person? Um, how would I take it up? <laughs> yes, that's a good one. I'm here to put you on the spot. How am I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, okay, I'm going to get to your question um, I'm going to come to your up to announce that question in a slightly roundabout way. Um, and if I could just start, because you, you mentioned me as a sort of technical person. And one of the things that I think I really value about Yoga Sutra and about a lot of Indian philosophical texts is that, in a sense, they are very, they're very rigorous, they're very considered, and they're very methodical. And one thing about the Yoga Sutra, in the Yoga Sutra, all of the terms are defined. The method associated with any particular goal is outlined. And um, in a way, it's a very, very coherent text, even though some of its topics might be of a vast and mysterious nature. So one of the things that appealed to me as an engineer was that actually I could see a kind of coherence in the text and also in the approach with which we were taught. I, I, I had reasons, if you like, for doing, for doing what I was doing. So that's, that's the first thing. To come to your actual question, which I think was asking, basically asking how would progress for people be evidenced? How would we, you know, how would we see people changing? I think there are a couple of answers. Case, right? yes. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of answers to that. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things to say is that, and this is an idea directly from the Yoga Sutra, it suggests that you can't create something that's not there. 
that the that the practice of yoga really is about uncovering what is our unique and individual potential. And so um, I, I remember being very struck by something a teacher of of mine, of ours, Peter, said. He said, I teach yoga not because of what I see people doing in their yoga practice, because of what I see them doing in the rest of their lives. Mm. So the, the evidence of the practice isn't actually their ability. Posture. It's not a posture. It's, it's, in a way, it's not even... I don't know, being able to sit for two hours on, on the mat or half an hour or, or whatever or do a very complicated breathing. It's what does it, what does it uncover and what, does it, uh, what potential does it allow somebody to manifest? And that, really, and that really, I think, is... And that's straight from the Yoga Sutra. That's not, that's not um, you know, adding too much on it. That, that, that's in there. And I think the way that this would show itself in many respects is through the nature and quality of our relationships mm. and the the lives that we lead, how we relate to others, how we relate to the world around us. So I kind Beautiful. of feel the evidence is not the ability to do a practice per se. It's mm. what else would be uncovered, what, what, what other possibilities emerge. Mm. Well, that you said, uncover your your own individual potential. Um, um, that, I mean, to me, that just stuck out uh, vibrantly um, uh, around somebody's life purpose. I mean, you could say you two have uncovered your own individual potential through the writing, the manifesting of this book. Hmm. Well. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Let's hope so. There's, there's a. <laughs> I hope so. There's, there's a, there's a. Although I don't think we've talked about it in this, in this, um, in the book, but there is a sutra in chapter four, uh, which talks about how, when a, fa- if you think about a, a farmer, irrigating his fields, um. Or, or, or what what the farmer will do is cut cut channels for water to flow in different ways. So if if water is not flowing in a particular way, you cut a channel so it irrigates a field. You know, it irrigates the field, and how you cut channels will define where the nourishment goes to. And I suppose we could think of the yoga project as most intelligently cutting our channels to allow a particular flow each of our individual potentials what i'm saying is that we're not adding anything we're redirecting what's already there to nourish what could possibly be that that's brilliant i love that very well spoken um i want to take a moment and and welcome all the listeners in london who haven't heard the new human living radio show before I, this conversation is such a classic because we're delving so deeply into such a um, esoteric uh, subject, perhaps. But we've got about ten minutes left, and I want to make sure our, our audiences, both here in the states, in England, and all over the world, 
know about you two because I, as I understand it, you both have active studios. Um, can let's go one at a time and share with the listening audience. Um, of course, mention the book, but if you have other books, um, any services you offer, and if you have a studio and whatnot, how they can engage you. Why don't we start off with David? Okay. Um, well, I live in Great Malvern, which is in the west of England, so it's uh, near Worcester and Cheltenham, and we have a studio here, and um, we run classes both me and my wife teach. In fact, my wife's been teaching longer than I have, actually. So <laughs> I have to acknowledge that. Um, and so we have we have a, a small studio here where we run court, where we run our, our regular classes. We also do some individual uh, tuition. Uh, a big part of this approach, actually, is uh, individual tuition because uh, we we feel what's actually very important is the one's personal practice a famous yoga scholar once said yoga is what you do when no one's looking and that's we we truly believe that so it uh, so we put a lot of emphasis on developing personal practices for people um, alongside that we we have the training organization sadhana mala which um is obviously it's got a, a technical name and we have a website sadhanamalayogatraining.com and there we advertise our training courses and workshops and um, all of that kind of thing the thing that, that that's perhaps really yeah a little more in depth so we, we offer a whole range of study options and something is basically between me and Ranji mm. Mm. do you want to add something sure. Dave Dave, Dave runs oh, yeah. Live Yoga in in Great Malvern, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Living and it's livingyoga dot co dot uk, is it? Dot org dot uk. Livingyoga dot org dot uk. Yeah. And um, similarly, I run a small um, yoga um, studio in about a hundred miles south of Dave, um, also in the in the west of England, in Somerset. Um, yoga with my wife as well and so I offer one-to-ones and groups locally and then and, and, and so that's both living yoga and yoga are really more local if you want to come and work with either you go if you want to work with us um, together and working in with uh, workshops or retreats or longer study courses then it's sadhana mala that's what we've that's what we want well very nice and and to reiterate what we've been speaking of the two of you have authored a book embodying the yoga sutra mm -hmm. support direction space and that's published through uh, Wiser Books. So um, I encourage the audience, if, if they're in, uh, excited about this material, this is a very delightful book, very well written. Um, I think it does the Yoga Sutra such a beautiful um, 
uh, I was going to say justice, but um, it, it authentically, I suggest, authentically conveys the um, the the essence, the subtlety of the essence in such a graceful way. So what's next for you two? What's next for us to do? Well, four years, this, this book, we continue to, to run teacher training courses and retreats. We write another book, Dave. Well, I think, I, I, I think we're going to have to. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. I, I suppose <laughs> what we'd quite like to do is, uh, and and I'm I'm kind of wondering whether it's a good idea to commit ourselves right now, but I think it would be really nice to write a book that um, is like a practice manual to accompany the, this book. So mm-hmm. some more ideas of practice how to practice principles. Mm-hmm. So I think um, as a project leader, that's something that, that we've certainly taught. Um, but alongside that, we continue to to do what we do, basically. We, we yeah, run study courses. And check, out, check out our study courses. We're about actually about to start a study course specifically in Chapter 1 of the Yoga Sutra in, in London. London. So that's going to be starting the new year, uh, the four weekend. Yeah. Uh, we, we, run, we run study courses, which are kind of weekend courses in which we really go into the Yoga Sutras in a lot of detail. They're a lot of fun. They are cool. And um, we try and keep it quite light, don't we? we? But both kind of light and profound. Yeah, the same exactly. Time. Exactly. Light and profound. <laughs> And that's a dance. That's not so easy. That's a dance. I agree. It is. It is. Yeah, Completely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun working together. Well, I, I, I have a lot of fun working with Dave. And uh, and, and I think the, 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 the people that we, our students, generally have really enjoyed the kind of creative, the creative dance. I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I think that um, what was spoken earlier is um, it's what you do when you're not practicing. I mean, in other words, it's the effect that it's brought upon yourself or how you've changed as an individual or, as we said earlier, um, how you behave once you've uncovered more of your individual potential. And time will tell um, the the wake of the book. I mean, we don't always have... uh, uh, quantifiable evidence of the effect of something like a book, but uh, it's pretty easy for me to think that um, the eloquence, the grace of this book uh, really honors the, like I said earlier, the rocket fuel power that it's taunting out of us uh, in, in our human personas uh, on an individual basis, on an individual potential basis. So um, I'm I'm very excited to see um, this next chapter of our human story. I I think we're going to see some new archetypes perhaps come online that don't really fit any of the context of the past ones. So yeah. we've just got a few yeah. minutes left. How about you each take a minute and just give us some closing thoughts? Anju, let's start with you. Some closing thoughts. Well, I think uh, at this moment in time, um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with what's 
negative and bad in the world. And there is a lot of news and a lot of um, media. I mean, I think we're trained to to look out for the bad. So it's very easy to become overwhelmed by that. Yoga offers a really powerful root and tool kit which helps us to access what is both um, less accessible, less obviously accessible. It's a little, it takes a little bit more work than being, it's very easy to get to see, a little harder to see the positive, I think. But yoga offers us a toolkit which allows us to get in touch with something much vaster. And, you know, I think, I think there are many, many really good things happening in the world which get obscured by the bad. Yoga is one of those things, and yoga offers us a way of seeing the potential of those things manifesting. Beautiful. I like that. And David? Um, I mean, I, I think I, I like what you, when you said a lot, actually, about giving a message of hope in, in a time that, you know, it's easy to perhaps lose hope uh, I, I think one of the most important things for me uh, from the journey of yoga and yoga sutra is actually recognizing and highlighting perhaps for the wider population the value of cultivating a personal practice mm-hmm. a personal discipline mm-hmm. something that you do actively to to really um, develop your your potential, I guess, if you like. And, and I, I think this idea of practicing something in order to essentially um, make yourself a better person, if you like, not in a way that's... that's kind Be of, the best possible version of yourself. Yeah, not in a way that's heavy or pejorative, but just the idea that, that you, you, you can do something and we have some power to do something. And what we can achieve can be amazing from mm. that. Mm. I, I think that's what I would, that's the message I'd like to leave you with, certainly. Very well that's spoken. It. Well, uh, our time is up. Uh, I wish we had more time. I, I think there's plenty of material here. Um, Ranju and David, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I look forward to our paths crossing in the future. It's been, a, it's been an absolute delight um, having this conversation with you about your most powerful book. Thank you for being on our show. Thank you so Thank much, you. Les. We really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love bringing episodes like this that dig a little deeper, that, that hone the focus, if you will, a little sharper when we look at our own potential. When, when we look at what's possible both individually and collectively in this ongoing um, history or, or momentum or paradigm that humanity is living out on the planet. Um, there's, been, there's been such um, powerful people before us that have, have, have gone the journey, if you will, that have, have uh, put the time in, if you will, and and written down the the vantage point of of that new wisdom, if you will. And the Yoga Sutra is an example of that. Uh, the original text being uh, um, thousands of years old, 
Ranju and David have brought that wisdom into a Western dialogue, into a Western language, um, so that every one of us has an opportunity to d dive a little deeper in who we are and and to really uncover our own individual potential at a deeper level. Well, it's always a pleasure. Um, I, I love these roundtable episodes where we take the time to to really honor a topic, and, and today has been no different. I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.